favorite parts of homeschooling. I love the independence. I don't want someone else telling me what to do. I don't want to meet with an educational facilitator to show her work samples once a month, um, the way that some homeschoolers have to do with uh, charter schools. That was never appealing to me. The idea that I would have to meet with someone who possibly had less experience teaching than I had so that they could then just check off boxes. I didn't like that idea. All of those don'ts influence the do's. Welcome to Homeschool Conversations with Humility and Doxology, a series of interviews with real-life homeschool moms, dads, and other educators on all sorts of topics that affect our lives as homeschool parents. I'm Amy Sloan, a second-generation homeschool mom of five, and I am so delighted that you are here. Here on Homeschool Conversations, we'll discuss educational philosophy, family life, and more. Come chat with us. Hello, everyone. Today, I am joined by Mariel Hosepian, who is a current public school teacher with more than 17 years of classroom experience. She and her husband homeschool their 10-year-old daughter in Santa Monica, California. She very recently started a second master's degree, this time in Christian apologetics. She can also be found sewing 18th century costumes, dissecting sea creatures, playing escape room games, and Instagramming. And I will have a link to her Instagram in the show notes. And we have actually already been having a great conversation for for quite some time here. And I cannot wait to share this conversation um, with the podcast listeners. So could you just start by telling us a little bit about yourself and your family and how you guys kind of came to homeschooling? Okay. So, um, well, like you said, I am a current public school teacher and, um, I've been doing this, this I'm in my 18th year. Um, I recently transitioned to a fully online, uh, independent study program. So I have fourth graders and I meet with them every morning for three hours. And then I facilitate um, their independent study program. So there's a whole online curriculum that that I don't have any control over that they do. And, um, and there are lots of parent uh, conferences via Zoom and emails and lots of paperwork. So uh, it's it's quite different than being in the classroom. Um, I also started, I started a, an apologetics master's. Um, so that's brand new and that's really humbling because um, I've always been really good at school and it um, was a lot of it was easy for me. And now I'm having to wrestle with uh, these ideas that are just huge and mind blowing and, um, and, and really worth wrestling with. And, um, and it's not easy. Like it's not, I can't just answer the question and get full credit. So, um, which kind of 
uh, makes me a little bit more excited about it too, because uh, I just turned in my thesis statement for a paper and I got a 24 out of a, out of a 30. And um, no, I was really, I, I looked at it and I was thinking, oh my goodness, this is like the lowest score I've ever gotten um, on anything. And um, it was actually that my, my spelling and grammar and all of that um, was, I got full credit on that and I got a really low score on my content. So um, I, yeah, I'm, it's, it's gonna be work and I'm excited about it. Yeah, definitely uh, worth working at that. I can't wait to definitely. hear all you learn. Pete, my husband, Pete, and I, um, we were both public school teachers before we had Gemma. We were married for 10 years before we had her. In that time, I got a master's degree in creative writing, and I moved up on the pay scale Whereas my, my husband, he did not pursue a master's degree. And so when we had Gemma financially, uh, it made more sense for me to be the one to go back to work, even though in every other possible way, it didn't make any sense. <laughs> so um, Pete became the stay-at-home parent and I went back to work when Gemma was four months old. We didn't always know we wanted to homeschool. And because we were both public school teachers, we figured that eventually Pete would go back into the classroom when Gemma went to school. But, and so I lean Charlotte Mason. So what I'm about to describe is very anti-CM. It's, um, but if I had to do it over again, I, I would I would do it this I, I would do it the same way. I wouldn't do it for the same reasons. But what happened is I was having all these conferences with parents about their children's reading scores. And so I was having to show them the data about how their children were testing on these reading tests. And I kept having to say, your child is below grade level, your child is far below grade level. And I didn't ever want to be the person on the other side of the table. And so because of that, I believed that since Gemma was going to go to public school, I better teach her how to read. And from my experience, many public school parents think that their children will learn how to read because they will give their children over to a teacher who knows best and that teacher will teach them how to read. And it's also been my experience that public school parents often don't read aloud to their children and they get to a point where they believe that their children can read or maybe they should be able to read. And so they don't read after that point. They don't read aloud after that point to them if, if they were to begin with. I was going to work. I was coming home. I, I was teaching fourth grade at the time in a, in a classroom. I would come home and Gemma wanted my undivided attention the moment I got home from work until she went to sleep. And I was tired, but I wanted I wanted to spend time with my child. I don't do imaginary play very well. And so I needed some sort of something to do with her where I wasn't feeling exhausted. So what I would do is I would stick her in the bathtub and I would, um, I got these 
bathtub crayons and I would write, have you ever used those? No, but I have heard of those. They sound so fun. <laughs> they are really fun, and um, but they don't wash off as easily as they say they will. So I would write on the tile in the bathroom, and I would write CVC words, so consonant, vowel, consonant words, like cat and pig and log, things like that. I would do that with her, and it was great because she was contained, and we would just we would just, she, and she loved it and she got mommy. And so I would use the die star orthography in teach your child to read in the hundred easy lessons. Are you, did you ever use that with your mm -hmm. kids? Not okay. with my children, but I've used it when I tutored someone. Yeah. Okay. So you know, the whole deal with the dots underneath each letter or each sound and the arrow and and, and how dice orthography works. So I would write, I would write the CBC words on the wall and I would put the dots under the sounds and the arrows and Gemma just started picking up everything really quickly. At a certain point, Pete and I realized that the problem was not going to be that she couldn't read in public school. It was going, it was that she was going to be way far ahead. When she was three or four, she took, I think it was three, she took down a science fiction novel that my husband had been reading. And she read the first couple of sentences. We both realized that, okay, this, the whole kindergarten thing isn't gonna, isn't gonna work. So that's how we came to homeschooling. And fortunately, we had relatives on either side of my family who were homeschooling. And so it wasn't something that was like out there. It wasn't something that those weird, you know, unsocialized people do. It was a viable it, option. It was, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It was like my aunt and uncle did it. My And my aunts over here, they did my aunt and uncle and my aunt and uncle over here did it. And yeah. And, and their children are lovely and, you know, and we like spending time with them. They're <laughs> relatively normal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you kind of start homeschooling almost kind of by happenstance, you realize in a sense, not being forced into it, but like, wow, this really isn't going to work. We need to continue doing this at home. This is a good option. But over the years, as you've been homeschooling, how have you seen your kind of approach to homeschool philosophy, educational thought kind of grow and develop? I know you mentioned you're now more interested or influenced by Charlotte Mason. So how did that kind of, how did you go from CVC words on the tile to <laughs> where you are now? Well, I mean, th there are multiple parts to this, right? Because when I was in the teaching credential program in my early 20s, right out of college, I had one sort of educational philosophy, you know, and that was the educational philosophy that would get the full credit on the exam. And it was the um, educational philosophy out of the textbook. It was the one that the professor wanted me to answer. And it was the one that when I had to write an educational philosophy to go along with my cover letter to uh, apply for jobs, that was very different than the educational philosophy I have now. And it was actually very different. The educational philosophy I developed 
as soon as I got into an actual teaching position where I was, where I saw what the reality was versus the um, theoretical. So I started, when I started teaching, I was teaching middle school. I taught middle school for seven years. And then I went to teach fourth grade. The philosophy that I had while I was teaching, that developed while I was teaching middle school, I started to I started to understand the importance of mastery, which it seems so obvious to a homeschooler, but I was teaching, I started teaching sixth grade English and history. And then after three years of that, I was teaching math and science. And I actually, when they told me that I had to move to sixth grade math and science, I actually cried. I did not want to teach math. I was terrified to teach math. I I actually ended up enjoying teaching math and science more than I had enjoyed teaching English and history. But what I saw was that students came in to uh, sixth grade math, which is, you know, you're you're getting into pre-algebra there. That's and actually I had an honors class. And so a lot of my students ended up going into algebra for seventh grade. But what I saw was the kids who did not have the skills, the prerequisite skills, there was no way they could catch up in the system the way the way the system is. I began to understand that things like social promotion is just completely wrong. <laughs> it's just, I don't, I don't understand why anyone thought that was a good idea. And people still do think that's a good idea. Administrators will still tell you that's a good idea. That really shaped a lot of what I do now with Gemma because there are, there. okay, so with reading and writing and math, reading, writing, and arithmetic, you, those are skill subjects. You have to have you have to learn skills in sequence in order to be successful in those subjects, in order to do them well, in order to progress. And then there are other subjects that are content. I mean, but they do have skills, but, but like something like history where you, well, I mean, we'll get to history later, but (laughs) we have opinions about everything. There, there are certain places where you can go off on rabbit trails, but math is not, math is not one of them in terms of skills. Like there are, there are areas of math where you can go on rabbit trails and that are fabulous, but it's like, you can't just say, okay, we're going to learn two digit times two digit multiplication today when you haven't learned that three plus one is four. When I started teaching elementary school, I moved from teaching sixth grade to teaching elementary school, that was really eye-opening to me because Gemma was four months old. I had a backpack breast pump. I was pumping at recess and pumping at lunch. I, I wanted to be gone the moment the bell rang. That way I could get home to my baby. And I had seen what the students needed for middle school. And so all of the stuff that was happening in elementary school that was so cute and like these cute little bulletin boards and these cute worksheets and things that other teachers were doing, I really, I had an aversion to all of that because I just didn't see them as being as valuable as actually preparing kids for 
what they were headed for, if that makes sense. I mean, it's like, I can give you a really good example, which is at, I mean, I'm horrible with bulletin boards. I'm horrible because I don't really believe that having every kid make a leprechaun out of construction paper and stapling that to a board is really a value when there are so many more awesome things you could do. Like one year I adapted the Tempest into a 45 minute version and we had full costumes and um, there were kids that kind of like some of the parts they doubled up on because we had so many students and there aren't enough parts. But I would just much rather like do the Tempest than make construction paper leprechauns and things like that. So what I hear you saying is that a lot of what you were kind of decided to implement in your homeschool came from things you saw that weren't working in the public school system where you were. You kind of had this vision for you had this bigger picture having worked middle school and elementary school, the things that were maybe cute, but not as an efficient or productive use of time. And that didn't mean you were just like, all right, so no fun and games. We're just going to like drill, drill, drill and be ready. You were still finding these creative, unique ways to learn, but in a way that was going to actually teach children something significant more than scissor skills. Yes. so, So that really then influenced. I can hear how that just really influenced the way you were thinking about what you wanted for your own daughter. Thank you so much for making what I just said make sense. I appreciate that so much. No, that that's very good. You know, you're you're that was a very good narration. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I have been influenced by Charlotte Mason. <laughs> As you think about the homeschooling then over these years with your daughter, like what have been some of your guys' favorite parts of homeschooling? Favorite parts of homeschooling. I love the independence. I don't want someone else telling me what to do. I don't want to meet with an educational facilitator to show her work samples once a month, um, the way that some homeschoolers have to do with uh, charter schools. That was never appealing to me. The idea that I would have to meet with someone who possibly had less experience teaching than I had so that they could then just check off boxes. I didn't like that idea. It's funny. A lot of this, a lot of a lot of the questions you're asking me and my answers, it's like, oh, I don't like that. I don't like that. I don't like that. And so you're a rebel. I'm a rebel. All of those don'ts um, influence the do's. I love the flexibility um, with scheduling because you know, okay, so we've talked about Charlotte Mason. So with Charlotte Mason, you uh, have short lessons, right? The goal is to, um, it's kind of like, like a party, right? It's like, you want to arrive late and leave early. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So while, while the child is still interested, you have cliffhanger endings of, of chapter books and things like that. I, I love the short lessons, but I also love if you're doing a science experiment that requires a longer amount of time that you can do that. And oops, if you didn't do a spelling page or you didn't do a grammar sentence or 
whatever you can that you know there'll be time for that tomorrow rabbit trails i love i love being able to go off on rabbit trails we are reading genevieve foster's abraham lincoln's world right now have you read that with your uh, yes kids? i have i really enjoy <laughs> her history books how she weaves in the stories from all around the world yeah it's it's really it's it's amazing because i feel like the way i went through history in school was everything was in a vacuum. It's funny because I didn't understand really until I was in the teaching credential program or I was preparing for the teaching credential program. I had to take a test, um, a, a certification that proved that I had a general knowledge of everything. <laughs> <laughs> I know it all. I know everything. You knew everything. I, I took a test and the test said so. I had to take this test because what happened was I was an anthropology major and I was not a liberal studies major, which is the major that most people who go into teaching, that's the major most people that go into teaching choose. So because I was an anthropology major, I had to take this test. It was like a five hour test. Am I exaggerating? It was, it was a long test. Wow. And I had to, uh, I, I, it, there were sections in every subject, including art appreciation. Like I had to, yeah, it was amazing. Like I had to do picture study basically on a standardized test, which is very un CM. So when I was preparing for that test, I made a timeline on the wall. So this is, this is in my early 20s. I made a timeline on our kitchen wall and I put events and I color coded it for different civilizations so that I could see what different civilizations were doing at the same time. And, and I stepped away from the wall and I, I looked and I was like, wow, all of that was happening at the same time. And it was, it was the first time that I'd realized that really that is one of the reasons why i love the genevieve foster books because and keeping a timeline book because you get to see that all of these things were happening at the same time in different parts of the world and um, sometimes they influenced what was going on in different parts of the world so that's fun and and i'm, I'm getting to save my own child from having to, you know, wake up in her early 20s and have that realization. Now let's hear from podcast sponsor and Sloan family favorite, Mr. D himself from Mr. D Math. Does your child love math, surpassing your ability to teach them? Or maybe you have a child struggling in math and you're looking for a solution that will help them finally get it. You want your teen to understand, love, and enjoy their math curriculum. Is that too much to ask? At Mr. D Math, we've got you covered. Many times a young person says they hate math simply because it hasn't been explained in a way that makes sense to them. At Mr. D Math, our teachers are dedicated to providing accessible support, instructing with clarity, and making math fun. We work with students from around the world, helping connect educational concepts to their everyday lives and exposing them to endless possibilities and potential for their futures. Head to MrDMath.com to check out our live and self-paced course options for math, life skills, test prep, and more. We even have courses to get your child ready for high school math or help them catch up or get ahead in a semester or less. 
Go to MrDMath.com or click the link in the show notes to see how Mr. D Math can bring clarity and joy to your homeschool. Well, if you've been around here for any length of time, you know how much I love including poetry and other beautiful memory work in our family's homeschool day. But if you've wondered what are the best morning time poems to include, well, I have a free printable for you. Head to humilityanddoxology.com slash 100 morning time poems, and you'll get to download a list of 100 of my favorites. And then be sure to come back and let me know which ones your family has enjoyed. So, okay. So I was going to say rabbit trails. Sorry. We are reading Genevieve Foster's Abraham Lincoln's World, and we've been reading about Queen Victoria. And Gemma is old enough now to where she appreciates the, the TV series, Victoria. So we've been watching that together. She just absolutely loves it. And it's fun because I had already seen it. I'm able to get excited with her as she's watching it and, and asking questions and wondering about, wondering about Tories and Whigs and Parliament and, um, and how things worked and what certain um, etiquette was and things like that. So that is really fun. Yeah. History is one of our favorite subjects. And I love, I, you know, I joke with the kids, no one woke up one morning and was like, well, the middle ages are over and now it's time for the Renaissance, right? Sometimes we think about history or history can be taught like that. And one of the joys of being able to read books like the Genevieve Foster books or just bring in a wide range of stories as you start seeing how the interconnectedness is happening, how there's not these rigid boxes of people or places or ideas, that it's a flow. These are real people living their real lives. So exactly, exactly. Well, see, that is one of the issues that I had when I was teaching fourth grade, because in California, fourth grade is California history. And so students would come into my class and I was supposed to teach them about the California mission system, which started in the 1700s, but they don't do American history until fifth grade. (laughs) So, So I was having to explain to students why there was this big rush, why the Spaniards wanted to colonize California, and why there was a rush to do it when they didn't understand that California wasn't part of the United States, that they didn't understand what was going on on the East Coast. They had no background knowledge. Um, So they had no context for any of it. And because Christopher Columbus is such a controversial figure now in public school, they had never heard of him. So when I said things like, well, you know, when, you know, 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue and the kids were like, who? And without that context, how can you (laughs) understand the motivations the implications, like there's no way to truly understand what's going on if you don't have the broader context. Right. So it was things like that, that made me want to use a more chronological approach to teaching history so that there was that background knowledge and 
that when we did find something that was interesting to go off on, there, there would be something to attach it to. There would be that spine. Yeah. Well, I'm hearing all of these wonderful benefits of homeschooling, especially in contrast to some of the, the downsides you were seeing in the system. But, you know, we know homeschooling isn't always easy and there are challenges that come along with this homeschooling life as well. So what have been some of the challenges of homeschooling for your family and how have you guys sought to overcome those? Okay, so like I said early on, my husband and I have done this together and my husband, so my husband has a really unconventional background. My husband has, he's a Renaissance man. He, um, he's a musician. He was a Marine. I mean, okay. So he is, a he's a former Marine, but his hair is down to his waist. Okay. And he, um, he can fix any car that you put in front of him, but he can also beat me at jeopardy. And I mean, like that's, that's true love right there. That's, I can fall in love with a guy who can fix any car and beat me at jeopardy. That's awesome. Yeah. So, so my husband likes to say that he dropped out of high school and he, what happened was he, he took the GED so he could just be done with it. His idea about education is that a lot of it should be self-directed. He let me do all of the planning. Isn't that nice of him? He let me do all the planning. Is <laughs> so that, kind. So, is that so sweet? All right. Yeah. <laughs> he let me do all of the planning and then he would make sure it got done during the day. And I didn't really have a say in how it got done, but you know, it got done. So a lot of that meant that he was the one that was getting to read Viking tales with Gemma. He was getting to read the Burgess seashore book with her, which he loved, which was so cute. And he would tell me, he would narrate to me about it. (laughs) I know, but there were other things where I was, where I would, they were just not how I would do them, you know? And when I would um, see what other homeschoolers were saying, I would think, wow, that's not how it looks in my house. And I don't have any control over it. And I have to be okay with that. That is one of the challenges is um, being, is, I mean, homeschooling together is awesome. And people who are parents who are able to do that, do it. But there are also there are also challenges because you have to recognize that your husband is going to not do things exactly the way you do them, and you're going to do things that aren't exactly the way he would do them either. I mean, he would he would probably rather me let Gemma do her own thing and not hover as much. So yeah, I mean, and I think that's actually a good thing. I think that in this whole, whatever God's plan was for all of this, I think God wanted me not to be hovering. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of times on this show, we talk about how homeschooling is kind of like parenting only more so. Parenting (laughs) on steroids, right? right? And so when you are sharing homeschooling with a spouse, which actually I've had two other guests, well, one is the the dad is the full-time homeschooler. And then the other one, the, the 
mom and dad share the homeschool teaching similar to you and your husband. In that case, it really is also not just the parenting, but it's also like marriage on steroids, right? Because you're having to just learn to live and work through those relationship issues, but in the context of homeschooling. So I'm sure that is challenging, but also has probably brought some really good opportunities just for communication, for growth, for kind of working through that hard stuff together. Absolutely. And okay. So another thing is there is no way that anything I'm ever going to face in homeschooling is going to be as hard as classroom teaching. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So I have, I mean, when I was teaching middle school, the first year that I was teaching middle school, I had 42 students in one period and 39 desks. And it was oh an my English, it was an English learner history class. And so that was that was the period right after lunch. And so I had students in my class who didn't speak any English. I had some that I mean they, they were at varying levels of English proficiency, but I had I had a handful of students who couldn't speak any English and what I would say is, you know, the last three kids in the room just had to sit on the floor because I didn't have, I didn't have enough desks and I was, it was my first year teaching. So I didn't even know who to ask for desks. I didn't, I didn't, it's like, you don't know where the copier is. You don't know, you don't know where anything is. Nothing is going to be harder than classroom teaching in my opinion. Um, Because I only have, I mean, even if I had multiple children, I only have one and I know we're getting to that, but it's just, you don't have there. I don't have, I don't have 30 children. I don't have 30 children. Don't know anyone who does. Right. Right. No, we're not supposed to, we are not like, if we were meant to, we're, we're not pup. I mean, we're not giving birth to puppies, right? Like we, we weren't meant to have 30, 40, 50 children. Exactly. Exactly. I think there's a misconception in that sometimes moms think that this homeschooling thing is so challenging, but I actually think it's supposed to be challenging. This is hard because, because I'm not saying I don't think it should be easy. I just don't think it should be without challenges. Right. Okay, working from home while homeschooling has been another challenge. It's also, but it's also meant that I can be here and that I have more flexibility and that I can read aloud something to Gemma or that I can go over Latin with her or that we can sit together and read Much Ado About Nothing together and do voices and stuff like that. But we live in 400 square feet. So, uh, being in a really tiny space, I know that that is an issue for some homeschoolers. Um, and then you put working from home in on top of that, and it's um, it's even more challenging. Um, we're also um, in in tweenagerhood, so the changes and the attitudes. Um, and the desire for independence and the need for, for more executive functioning skills, all of those things, those are challenges. But like I said before, I didn't think this was going to be easy. And so it's like, I just go, okay, well, these are today's challenges. 
it's a hard, that's worth it. It's a hard kind of like, you know, when you climb a mountain or you do anything that's hard in the moment, it's not always fun. It's not always like a game, you know, that you're just like, oh yes, I want to do this all the time. But at the end, you're so glad you did it and it's totally worth it. Yeah. Well, it's not, and you know, I love Instagram, but it's not all Instagram. It's not, it's not all enchanted. Right. It's, it's not, it doesn't all have a filter on it, but the, the thing is it's your job. Okay. Like for, for me going into a classroom or now going into zoom, <laughs> I, I look at that and I, I think, okay, the perspective I have or the, the lens that I'm viewing this through is that, okay, I'm dealing with my jobs challenges. It's not like I wake up in the morning and I think, oh, I'm going to go to work now and oh, fingers crossed. I hope there aren't any challenges. Right. Right. And I don't mean to say that uh, to to diminish any mom's um, experience, like what what another mom is going through in terms of challenges. Um, But I just for myself because I have that to compare it to, it's a blessing because I can look at it and I can say, okay, well, at least there aren't 42 of her. (laughs) Yes. I think so often our, our expectations can really set us up for failure because if we wake up in the morning and we Sometimes I think subconsciously do think today is going to be the perfect homeschool day and none of my children will ever complain or ever fight with each other (laughs) and everything will go smoothly. Everyone will understand fractions. The first time I explain them, like, it's just all going to be great. And then you walk out, you know, out of your room and people are fussing and things break and something happens. And it's just not this perfect ideal you had in your head. And then you're frustrated when really that's, that's normal. That's ordinary life is normal. That's what God calls us to, to live in is in the midst of that ordinary, messy, fallen, and yet still beautiful life. Um, but it's just all very ordinary. And so if we can kind of just wake up and start our day thinking, okay, there are going to be problems. Like you were saying, like there will be challenges. Then when the challenges come, you're just like, okay, well, here's the challenge that God has given me today. And, And that's okay. It's not like, Oh no, why has something hard happened today? This is terrible. And it doesn't mean that, you know, sometimes we don't cry in the bathroom with our chocolate, but, Mm -hmm. um, to just keep that perspective in mind that it's okay. When things are hard, you're not doing something wrong just because it's hard. You know, you're not a bad homeschooler. You're not a bad mom just because you're having a hard day or just because every day has something hard in it. Like that's normal human life, right? Exactly. Exactly. I I don't know. Maybe if it were, maybe if we had check boxes next to challenge, like on the, on the days to do list, it's like, you know, give yourself three challenge check boxes. And it's like, okay, well, there was one check. Awesome. I marked something off the to-do list. At least there would be one thing we would always get done every day. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, let's transition and talk a little bit specifically about homeschooling one child. Um, I interviewed Jessica Waldock in the past and, um, 
uh, I think it's really helpful. I know there are a lot of people who are homeschooling a single child, either because they have one child or because they have children in different educational situations and maybe are still just homeschooling one child um, while they may have other children, other places. So I would love to hear your kind of tips and strategies, what advice you would give to a homeschool family who's homeschooling one child. Okay. Well, one of the things that I I love about homeschooling and only is that all of my homeschooling time um, and all of my homeschool budget can go to one child. It doesn't have to be divvied up. I don't have to say, okay, well, you can't have X because your brother needs Y and your sister needs Z. And we can't afford all three of those things. There might be times where I can afford something that um, is a little bit more pricey, but like like a, like one thing that's a little bit more pricey um, that I wouldn't be able to buy if I had multiple children. Yeah. Speaking um, as a mom of five, I will say that's very accurate. Yeah. <laughs> there are times where a ticket price you think, well, that's not that much for one ticket, but, you know, multiply it by five kids and it's just not doable. Oh, goodness. I mean, one of the things that that was wonderful about living in Los Angeles County is we used to have access to a lot of museums and um, theater, live theater and um, concerts. There there's this one theater that would do a series of family concerts on Saturday mornings. Um, so it'd be, uh, around the world. Um, one Saturday it would be Celtic music and, um, you know, a month later it would be Polynesian music and things like that. So, right. To be able to say, okay, um, we can afford to do this because I only have to buy one ticket or to be able to say, okay, we can do whatever, we can do this because there are no scheduling conflicts. No one has a soccer game. No one has, you know, somewhere else that we have to be. So those are, those are nice things. Um, Also, I don't, I, if, if I had multiple children, I would definitely do a morning time. I love the idea of morning time, but I also love the idea that I don't have to. Um, (laughs) because I don't have to come up with any group lessons that are differentiated. I don't have to worry that the, um, that the toddler is, I don't have to keep the toddler busy with a sensory bin. And while, you know, the high school student is, while I'm begging the high school student to, please sit down at the table and and participate with us for a short amount of time before they go off and do their independent thing. And um, I don't have, you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Okay. And I also don't have to, I I know a problem that um, some moms express is what do I do with my other children while I'm doing a one-on-one math lesson with this child. I don't have to worry about that. It's all one-on-one. It's all one-on-one. And there we go back to the, you know, the hovering issue. So um, it is a balance. I mean, because the thing is, there are a lot of good things about having to stretch your budget and having to be a good steward of the time 
time that you've been given, right? So um, to just, I, I, I don't think I would be a better homeschool parent if I had an unlimited budget. I mean, if I could just buy whatever I wanted, I think I would actually end up with more than what I was going to use. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I think I would also um, not put as much thought into what I really valued because I was just able to get what I wanted. I mean, I think that's a great life lesson, right? right? Is you have to actually think about what you want to spend your money on. And, and then having multiple children and having, you know, having two children play together while you work with one child, like that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. Right. Having kids, having your children learn to love each other, spending time with each other, that's a good thing. I know a thing that a writer does that keeps in nine violet clothes. Oh my heart. That little clip is of my youngest daughter when she was just two years old, and she was lisping her way along with our family's Shakespeare memory, the very same Shakespeare that I was memorizing with the rest of the kids in morning time. Can you really introduce your, your kids to Shakespeare? Can you easily include Shakespeare's works in your homeschool curriculum? Shakespeare for kids? Surely that is a crazy idea. But let me reassure you, exploring Shakespeare with your children can be fun and easy. And if you don't believe me, I challenge you to watch my free Getting Started with Shakespeare workshop, where you can explore some of the resources I rounded up, learn my three quick tips for getting started with Shakespeare, and then you'll be on your way to exploring Shakespeare's masterpieces with your kids of all ages. You can head to humilityanddoxology.com slash exploring-shakespeare-children or just check the link in the show notes for more details. I'm trying to think. Other tips. Other tips. Um, well, the hovering right? Because with an only child, there is the risk of hovering. And so there are certain areas where I have said, okay, you know what? You are going to be responsible for this. And one example is math. So Gemma is very advanced in math. And the reason for that is because we homeschool year round, um, we don't take breaks for, we don't take breaks from math. Um, and I was always using a skills based approach and it was always mastery. So she's actually taking an online course, um, through Arizona State University's universal learner program. And they, I, I don't, are you familiar with that? Mm -mm. So it's really cool because it's designed for high school students to be able to get college credit um, while homeschooling. And um, they have, so one of the, the course that she's taking right now is it's college algebra. And um, she's, we did, we were using Life of Fred up until that point. And she started this in April in April and she has a year to complete it. So she's more than 70, she's actually more than 75% done um, 
on her little pie chart that they show, you know, on the screen. But that is something that's an area that I have stepped back from and said, okay, you know what? You want some more independence? You can have some more independence. Here you go. You can watch these videos. You can read the explanations. You can um, work through it because one of the things she doesn't like doing is she, surprise, surprise, she doesn't like writing down and showing her work in math, right? Hmm. Yes. Does any child know? It's shocking, right? So, um, you know, and having taught math in middle school, I, it just like makes me cringe because I'm like, just write it down. It would be so much easier if you just wrote it down. And especially because then I could see your thinking process and then I could tell you where you were going wrong. And that's when I have to pull back and go, oh, hovering. Okay. So that's the advice I would give is to look at what you can let your child do independently and let them. Yeah. That's so, you know embracing the joy and the, the benefits of the undivided time, the undivided attention, the undivided budget, while also finding ways to kind of bring in an external, I guess, limit that you kind of impose on yourself. So it's letting them find outside teachers or having to have their independence and learn to work on their own. And if you, I guess you have to like make a point to do that a little bit more then those of us who are like, I'm sorry, I can't get to you right now. I have to do that. You're just going to have to figure it out. You know, it happens right. a little bit more organically. So the things that, um, that I would have to more prioritize purpose to do, which would be one-on-one time are going to flow more organically for you. And the things that would be a challenge, you know, I guess it goes back to the challenge, right? Every homeschool family has their own unique challenges and benefits, and they have to kind of be able to identify them so that we can can work through those in a, in a profitable way for our family. Yeah. You know, you said something about when, when we were talking about, well, just general challenges, you and I had a conversation online about, um, the way curricula for homeschoolers is being made schooly. And so that there's a challenge. This is not, this is a challenge that I've seen other people having, but also, you know, there are times when I go looking for a specific something and what I find looks like a lesson plan I would have to do in a public school classroom. And you and I talked about this, um, about this maybe being the result of a concern that a lot of homeschoolers express um, when when non-homeschoolers ask homeschoolers, so how long do you plan to do this, right? And the, the cool answer is to say, oh, we're taking it year by year, right? Because that ends the conversation. And so it prevents the conversation from going somewhere uncomfortable and it prevents the mom from being put on the defense, right? And having to defend the choice of homeschooling. Because if I can say, oh, we're just doing, you know, we're just taking it year by year, then the other person will, they'll go, they'll, they'll be okay with that. Because someone who doesn't believe in homeschooling, like it's like a Santa Claus, like you don't believe in homeschooling. Um, <laughs> someone who doesn't believe in homeschooling, they they can't possibly imagine 
that you would be qualified to teach high school, that you would be qualified to prepare your child for college. Um, so the, oh, we're taking it year by year, it's, it's a much easier answer. But what happens is we're taking it year by year is mimetic. It's this idea, um, it's this American homeschooling culture idea that it's spread and it's continuing to spread and it's spread into the um, in, into the homeschooling curricula um, industry. And so it's making it harder to find materials and resources that don't have a very schooly vibe and um, and aren't common core um and aren't um because Aligned i think with the curriculum right yeah. because because uh curriculum companies they they want to create something so that a homeschool parent can um take their take their fifth grade child and homeschooling homeschool them for fifth grade and then oh you know what well we tried that and i'm going to put them into sixth grade so i want them to be prepared for sixth grade so everything that i use at home needs to be the same as what the public school is doing and um i've already explained to you that that is just wrong <laughs> You're like, I've seen what's inside the public school system. You don't, you don't want to be aligned with that. No, you don't, no. you know? Yeah. Well, this has been such a lovely conversation. Thank you for sharing your stories and the rabbit trails. I love it. It's been really fun. <laughs> Here at the end, I'm going to ask you the two questions I'm asking everyone this season. And the first is just, what are you reading lately? I'm assuming some apologetics books for your classes. I am. Um, one, I have like a stack right here. I, one of the books I'm reading right now is called Ecologies of Faith in a Digital Age. And it is, it's a, well, what I'm, what it's about so far is the way that God has created the physical and spiritual to um, be interconnected and interactive and um, that like creation, everything in creation is connected and everything in our spiritual development is connected. So um, me talking to you right now um, and talking with another Christian, uh, and encouraging each other, that is going to uh, nourish both of us in terms of our spiritual formation. Um, it's things like that. Um, and then I'm, you know, I've got this, I've, yes, Christian apologetics and um, stand firm. Um, but I'm also reading David Copperfield with Gemma as mm -hmm. our one of our bedtime stories. So we're loving that. Um, it's really funny because there are times where I'm really tired and she'll say, mom, do you want me to read aloud to you? And I'll say, yeah, yes, please. And so she'll read David Copperfield to me. And um, it's so funny because I feel like I did something right with David Copperfield. Um, Dickens is funny. Dickens, uh, 
he's a master with character. Um, and so have you read David Copperfield? It, I have, but it has been forever, more than a decade. Yes. <laughs> so I don't know if you remember the scene. We read it a couple nights ago. Um, the scene between David and the waiter when he's going off to school and he, he stops and he has this meal and the waiter comes to David and asks him if he wants, if he wants his ale and and then he tells him, but someone died drinking this ale a couple of days ago. And so if you don't want it, I'll drink it for you. So then the waiter drinks his ale for him. And then the waiter brings out his food and, and then proceeds to eat like, you know, three quarters of his meal for him. And then the waiter brings out the dessert and the waiter has a tablespoon and David has a teaspoon and, um, obviously the waiter eats more of the dessert than David, but it's just like, it's so funny because that's like a scene in a sitcom. Right. And, and now when Gemma's reading aloud to me, she gets the humor. And so that's really, really fun. So fun. I love, I love when the kids start getting the inside jokes too, and you can share those together. That's such a fun part of sharing literature together. Well, my final question for you is just what would be your best tip for helping a homeschool day run smoothly? Well, we talked about understanding that there will be challenges. Like I said before, I think sometimes you do have to say, you know, okay, we're going to put this on the back burner um, because obviously it's not going to get done with the attitude that it needs to get done with. Um, so, so putting it on the back burner, coming back to it fresh tomorrow and, um, you know, maybe doing, maybe dissecting a sea star or, um, doing an escape room or something like that, um, I think is, is one way to kind of hit the pause button. Yeah. Yeah. Relationships are so important. And if those are fractured, we're not going to really be getting that much done. And like you were saying just a minute ago with the book you're reading, you know, we're whole people, body and mind and soul, right? right? So we can't somehow isolate attitudes from the math, you know, they're all kind of intertwined together. And sometimes you have to power through, but sometimes the best thing to do is just stop and drink some tea, go for a walk, maybe go to your separate corners for a little bit and then, and then come back and try again the next day. But I think also like what you said, um, about relationship. So it's not just about, this is so funny. It's totally, it's totally like the ecology. It's, um, it's the ecology of education. It's, um, so Charlotte Mason, right. Is it's all about the science of relation, uh, of relation. Right. Um, and so when I think of the word relationship in regard to homeschooling, I think of it not just people like person to person, mother to child. Um, I also think of it as what is my child's relationship to the subject. Mm. So one thing that I knew early on was that I wanted her to have a positive relationship with 
all the subjects. And so how do we go about doing that? We don't, a lot of public school teachers, elementary school teachers have math and science anxiety. And they, um, they, they weren't good at math. They, they thought that science was icky. Um, and so those attitudes, they impacted their choices in college. And that's part of the reason why they decided to go into elementary school teaching is because they did not see math or science fields as being an option because they didn't feel that they were good at them. I never want her to think I can't do something. I want her to believe she can learn it. I want her to have a positive relationship with it. Um, So in terms of what is my best tip for helping the homeschool day run smoothly, remembering relationship, remembering that I want her to have a positive relationship with each of these subjects. And, um, And also this ties into what we talked about earlier with, um, I'm doing this for the long haul. I'm not doing this just for this year. Um, And so knowing that helps the day run more smoothly because if if I understand this is not just one of 180 days that I have to get through, right? And then like next year, I can stick her in a brick and mortar school. If I understand that we're doing this, we're doing this all the way, then whatever happens today is, is going to be, it's, it's going to be easier when you look at a few years from now, right? As opposed to just right now. So being more farsighted than nearsighted. It gives that bigger context, that bigger perspective. Yes. This has been lovely. Thank you so much for chatting with me today. I'm glad that it worked out and we worked through scheduling things. Could you tell people where they can find you on the internet? Yes, I am at Marielle Hosepian on Instagram and um, Amy will put in the show notes how to spell Yes. (laughs) Yes. I will put a link to that over in the show notes for this episode at humilityanddoxology.com. And I will chat with you in your DMs. Awesome. I look forward to it. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening in on this week's homeschool conversation. For show notes and links to all the resources we discussed, head to humilityanddoxology.com slash homeschool-conversations. And if these episodes are an encouragement to you, would you take a moment to leave a rating and review and to share with your friends? I am so thankful that you are here on this adventure with me. Let's repent of our constant striving, relish the joy of learning, and rest in the work of Christ on our behalf. Stand fast, my friends.